Let me tell you, first off, I'm glad you're here, glad that we're back as we start a brand new year. Uh, I want to tell you, as we start a, a new year in our men's lunch, uh, I believe the men's power lunch is a big deal. I believe, and in fact, I know the impact of it could be tremendous. Uh, look around you, look at the, the men here, the, the, the employees here, the employers here, uh, the, the husbands that are here, the dads that are here, the impact of what could happen uh, just out of this room, I believe, uh, could be absolutely tremendous. And so I want to encourage you uh, to do a couple things as we start a brand new year. The first thing is this, uh, I want to remind you of this and I want to encourage you of this, uh, consistency uh, is the key to all things. And, and you think about that, it's a brand new year. If I were to start a diet and I were to stick to it and I were to, to map it out and plan my meals and stick to it for two days, it would not matter. Uh, consistency is the key. If I were to say, well, I'm going to start to work out, I'm going to exercise, and I did that two or three days in a row, uh, that would be a good start, but it would not matter over the long term. Consistency is the key in all things. Well, let me tell you, in our men's lunch, as we hear the word of God, as we're moving this week, uh, these couple weeks through the life of Paul, consistency is the thing, continually being in God's word. And so I want to encourage as we start a new year, commit to consistently being here. You know what? I'm going to map it out. I'm going to plan my Thursdays. I'm going to be here as we gather in our men's power lunch. Consistency. The second thing is this, and I want to encourage you as we, as we head into the new year, uh, always be planning, always be thinking about inviting somebody to join you. Uh, we've got a billboard in town. We've printed cards. We've sent out flyers. We announce it in church. Let me tell you this. The best advertising that we can ever do is y'all. Uh, the best advertising is the word of mouth, men saying, you know what, I go to this, I benefit from this, this is a good thing. And so I'm going to ask you, say it all the time, been saying it for years, as we head into a new year, commit to telling folks about our men's lunch, to inviting folks to join us in our men's lunch, texting folks, hey, it's Thursday, join me there, I'll pick you up, calling folks. Uh, some of you, if you, I hear this all the time, say, you know what, I've tried that. I've contacted all my friends. I've, I've worn all my friends out. Let me tell you this, get new friends. <laughs> Whatever it takes, text some folks, call some folks. Uh, we want to see our men's lunch grow. Let me, let me tell you this, a free lunch, and I'll just tell you a great lunch, jalapeno cornbread, men studying the word of God, there is no reason there shouldn't be 200 men here today. There is no, a free lunch, an awesome lunch, and men studying the Word of God, there's no reason there shouldn't be 200 men. You know what, if we'll invite somebody and we'll commit to that, God will bless that and it'll be a tremendous thing uh, in our community, in our lives, in our, in our Christian walk. Today we're going we're gonna to pick back up, and we, we've gone through great men of the Bible. We've looked at Abraham, we've looked at, at, at Moses and Joshua. Uh, we, we started a week before our break looking at the life of the Apostle Paul. Well, today as we continue, we're going to continue looking at the, the life of Paul. Now, I, I say this, and I truly believe it. I believe uh, maybe and perhaps the greatest Christian to ever live. Now, that's a steep thing to say, but I believe perhaps the greatest Christian to ever live. He is a man who wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. He is a man who was a pastor and he pastored churches. He was a teacher 
and an encourager of other pastors. And we read his letters to Timothy and, and, and to Titus. He was a, a trainer, a teacher of pastors. And then the effect, the impact that that has. He is, he is an evangelist. Uh, he, he goes and he travels and he proclaims with his mouth very thoughtfully the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can read he led countless people to faith in Jesus Christ. Timothy comes to faith in Christ because of Paul. Titus comes to faith in Christ because of Paul. You can keep going down the list. He was a tremendous evangelist. In fact, here's, the, here's, the, here's a, a, a really a stark truth. If most of us here today who've put our faith in Jesus Christ, if we could trace back through the tree, uh, going back and say, you know what, this person led me to Christ, and then you know what, this person led them to Christ, and, and this person and their influence, they were led to Christ. If we could run that tree back far enough, I want to tell you, I believe most of us in this room, if not all of us in this room, the, the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ, our salvation, would run through Paul. Can you imagine that? Most of our salvations, if we could trace it back far enough, would go back to some influence that the Apostle Paul had. He had a very profound effect, and I believe maybe more than any person I know. Well, several weeks ago, uh, we started off by looking at this, this statement of resolution that, that Paul makes. Now, we know he is resolved. We know he is committed but he writes this, this one thing in, in the book of Philippians. It's in chapter 1. And he says this, and I think it sums up his life. He says, but for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, what, what we saw that first week is this. He sold out to Jesus Christ. Now, I, I was thinking about that this morning Yes, he sold out to the cause of Jesus Christ. But you know why that was? It's because he was sold out to Jesus Christ. He is radically, crazily, totally sold out to Jesus Christ. He says, and this is what that means, if I'm going to live, if I'm going to wake up tomorrow, if I'm going to get off my bed, it's going to be to serve as an ambassador for Jesus Christ. It's going to be to serve the cause of Jesus Christ. If I live, it is Christ. But if I die, you know what? That's going to be okay as well. I'm going to go be with Christ. Do you see the, the hugeness of that? He says, you know what? If I live, it's going to be as Christ. It's going to be on his mission. If I die, I'm going to go be with Jesus Christ. His whole existence is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. Listen to me today. How could we be any less? Think about that. We think, wow, this is radical. Wow, this is, this is crazy. This is absurd. How could we be any less? You see, our only hope is in Jesus. I don't know if you've lived long enough to figure that out. You have no hope outside of Jesus. Not two others, not three others. Your only hope is in Jesus. Your only answer is in Jesus. It's not in your business. It's not in your money. It's not in your relationships. The only answer you have is in Jesus Christ. Listen, your only Savior is Jesus. Do you know only one person ever lived and never sinned? The only one person went to the cross and died in your stead? You have no Savior outside of Jesus Christ. You have no Savior outside of Him. So how can we be any less? His whole existence is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. How could we be any less? 
Let me, let me say, and I, I've said this for years, and I'm, I'm going to start screaming it this year. When are we going to see radical things? And I'm not talking about goofy things, but I'm talking about radical things. I'm talking about men who leave their homes. We've talked about it. When is that going to happen? When are we going to see dads who invest and put the truth of the gospel, the word of God into their kids? When is that going to happen? When are we going to see businesses start to operate differently? Language start to be different? When are we going to see lives really change? Not just in words. It's going to be when we become totally wrapped up in Jesus Christ. You can half step. You can go another year half stepping. You you can drift if you want to. You know what? You can drift another year. But you'll see radical change when you say, you know what, if I live, it's going to be for Christ. And if I die, I'm ready to see Christ and start to finish, beginning to end, I'm wrapped up in Jesus Christ. Well, today we're going to continue, and and really it's going to lead to next week. But we're going to start now to look at the life of Paul. We're going to see how he actually lived. We're going to see who he actually was And I wanted to get to the next part so bad, I'm going to get there next week, that I wanted to go quickly over this part, but it's important. Like a book, you have to start at the beginning. And if you were to jump in in chapter 3, you wouldn't understand the context of the book. So we're going to start at the beginning today. We're going to see who Paul is at the beginning. We're going to understand who Paul was at the beginning. When we first meet Paul, we first run into Paul, he is a young man. That's, that's a weird thing for me to think about. Um, I, I think, I guess I'm 48 years old this year. Sometimes I can't figure that out. I'm 48 years old. You know what? I still feel like I'm 25. In fact, I don't know how I'm not 25. That goes by very quickly. Uh, but you know what? There's a weird thing. You can't do at 48 what you can do at 25. You think differently. And sometimes it's a good thing at 48 than you do at 25. But understand, if you're going to understand who Paul is, you got to understand this is a young man. He's not 48. He is a young man. So we run into Paul. He is, he is a young man. Now when we find him, he is a devout, serious-minded Jew. He is a serious-minded Jew. He is zealous for the cause of Judaism. He's been trained in it. He's had all the great teachers he knows, he knows the, 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 the faith of Judaism. He knows the law. He knows the words. He knows the doctrine, the customs of Judaism. And he is zealous for the cause of Judaism. So here's this young man. He's not an old man. And we find him and he is zealous for the cause of Judaism. Now, from that zeal, he has a burning desire to protect the Jewish belief system the Jewish belief understanding. Because he's zealous for Judaism, he has this desire inside of him that he's not going to let somebody change it. He's not going to let somebody slander it. He's not going to let somebody mess it up. He is zealous for the, the cause of Judaism. Well, in his zeal to protect the Jewish belief system, he becomes the persecutor of the church. Now, we read that and we think, well, that, man, that's crazy. That's hard. He's a murderer. Uh, but, but understand, he is a young man. He is trained in Judaism. He is zealous for Judaism. And in his zeal to protect Judaism, he becomes a persecutor of the church. What that means is, here's this new group. 
followers of Jesus Christ, Christians, little Christ, and he sees them as a heresy. You know what? That's not what God has said. That's a deviation from what God has said. He sees them as an attack on Judaism. You know what? We're looking for the prophesied Messiah. This is some false person over here. He's not the Messiah. He sees Jesus and his followers as an attack on Judaism. He sees Christianity. He calls it the way in a moment. He sees Christianity as a detour from the truth. Well, his love for Judaism then prompts a hatred for the church. And that, that's where we find him. Now, let me, let me say this, and I, I had to think about this for a second. I think he thought that he loved God. You see, Judaism, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the religion that, that Christ comes out of. Uh, Judaism, the God of Judaism, is, the, is the, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, our God. And I believe he thought he loved God. He loved the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I think that he thought he loved God. Problem is, he didn't know God. And that's, that's a pretty radical thing to think about today. He had all of the scriptures. He had all of the teachings. He had all the laws. But he didn't know God. And I think about that for just a second. I wonder how many folks would fall into the category, they have all the stuff, but they don't really know God. And man, they can say, I, I grew up here, my granny used to sing this song, and woo, I've been on the roll of this church for this many years. But if you say, well, tell me who your God is, they couldn't tell you who God is. And so we find him here. I think he, he thinks he loves God. Problem is he doesn't know God. Now, in Scripture, the first time we run into Paul, his name is Saul. We're going to see next week his name change. And it's found in Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 6, uh, the Jews in their hatred for Christ, in their hatred for Christianity, and then in the church, they take Stephen. He's a devout man, a faithful man, a devout deacon. And they take him out to stone him. And that starts that, that account in, in, in Acts chapter 6. Here's this man, and he's a witness for the gospel of Christ. He is a devout man. These Jews say, you know what, this is an attack on what we believe. And they snatch him up, and they begin the process uh, that they're going to they're gonna stone Stephen. In Acts chapter 7, if you, as, you, as you read the account, it says that they get him outside of town. And I, and I want you sometime to go look at the words they began to gnash their teeth at him. Now, I don't know how mad you've been. I've been mad a couple times. Have you ever been so mad that you're just consumed in bile? You're just, you're just mad and, you, and you're just gritting your teeth and you're gnashing your teeth. Well, they take this guy who's talking about a resurrected Savior and they're so filled with, with hatred toward him, they gnash their teeth and you read the account, they take stones, they don't choke him, they don't, they don't break his neck and get over with quickly. They take stones and they pop him in the back with them. They hit him in the head with them. They strike him in the face with them. And they take big stones and small stones and they start to fly in. And they literally take this guy and they smash Stephen. They smash him. They kill him. Now listen to me. That is intense hatred. I don't know, sometimes I think, well, I've been mad enough to kill somebody. I don't know if that's true or not. But they actually take stones and they smash Stephen. That is vile hatred. Listen to Acts chapter 7, verse 58. 
And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses, those that that were going to participate, they laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Here's this smart guy. Here's this young guy. He's zealous as a Jew. His name is Saul. And they march out of town. They're so filled with rage that they decide, you know what, we're going to kill this guy. And as as they're walking up there, they're pulling off their clothes and they're taking the things that are going to hinder them. They take off those robes and they lay them at a guy's feet. Saul, a young man, and they go and they kill Stephen. Acts chapter 8 verse 1 says this. And Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. Hearty agreement means he was right with them. You know, this is the right thing to do. This is is what we ought to do. He is right with them as they take the stones and as they kill Stephen. As As the stones came flying in, as they began to crush him stone after stone, he agreed with the killing of Stephen. Another stone hits him, yeah. Another stone hits him, he knocks him over. He tries to get up, he's disoriented. Another stone hits him. He agrees, yes, kill him. Enough with this guy, silence his mouth, kill him. And he agrees with the smashing, the stoning of Stephen. It's a weird thing, and I've said this since I was young, violence always feeds violence. You ever notice that? You, you can be a pretty calm person and get with the wrong people and think, mm-mm, not today. You can get with 10 guys and they say, well, I don't know what he's looking at. I don't know what he's looking at either. They can put you in a locker room somewhere, pretty good kids, and all of a sudden you think, he's mad and I'm mad and it feeds my mad and we go out and we're mad. I think violence always escalates into more violence. Well, here we see they stone this, this guy, Stephen, and his blood is there in the ground. And it's like they poured gas on this young man. He, he gets a taste for it. This is what happens when you disagree with the truth. And it's like they pour gas on him. Listen to verse 2. And on that day, a great persecution against the church. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Verse 2. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. Some Christian guys, they take Stephen, and as they bury him, they weep, they cry over Stephen. He's been killed. Verse 3, listen to this. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house. Listen to that. The, The verb tense is house after house after house after house and dragging off men and women, and he would put them in prison. Really, I I read that, and if you want to put it in in our English understanding, Saul goes on a rampage. He really just goes bananas. He sees Stephen's death, and he decides, you know what, this is how this this is going to go down. And he goes to one house, and he hears that there's believers in there, that there's followers of Jesus Christ. And he goes, and notice it doesn't say he marches them to prison. It doesn't say, I I need you to come out. We're going to arrest you. He grabs them. He drags them out of the house. It says, and women. He grabs her and he drags her out of the house. And he, and he drags them, it says, to prison. Most interesting word in that verse, verse 3, is ravaging the church. 
ravaging the church. Ravaging, if you look it up in the original language, means to ruin, to damage, or to destroy. Now, to best understand it, you can go to other writings where the word is used. And in the same time period, the word was used, I found it, to describe a city that was ravaged. It was plundered. It was torn apart. They go to a city and they, they ravage the church. They plunder the, the, the city. They, they ravage the, the, the city. They tear it apart and they leave the city in ruins. In Acts chapter 22, Paul's talking about his own life and he says this. He persecuted the way, that's the church, that's Christianity, unto death. He goes door to door to door to door. And he drags them out and he takes them to prison and, and his goal is to silence them. And if need be, as the blood of Stephen cries out, we, we're, we're going to kill him. Whatever it takes, he, he ravaged the church unto death. And so I want you to picture this. I wish we could go further, but we're going we're to stop here in just a second. We find Saul. We find young Paul. And he is smart, he is educated, he is resolute, he is bold, he is serious-minded, he is a fighter. Here's the problem. He had the wrong cause. Do you see that? Our, our first glimpse of Paul, he's something else. And I, I read that, and you know what? I, I read that, and I want to be mad at him. I want to hate him. But I, I want to tell you, if you were putting together a team, if you were getting some folks that are going to be loyal, you would want Paul. You'd want Saul on your team. He is smart, and he is intelligent, and he's not wishy-washy, and he is committed to the cause, and he's bold to do whatever it takes to get it done, and he is committed, and he is a fighter. But listen, the problem with Saul is he had the wrong cause. Here's where we're going to end today. How many of us, and here we sit, brand new year, how many of us will fight and will strive and will work, but will do it for the wrong cause? How many of us, I want you to think about this as I, as I look at how fast time is going by, how many of us will invest and we will give our hours and we will give our days. Do you see how this works? Day after day after day, we're going to give those days. And those are days you're not going to get back. Those are days you can't go back and revisit. And you're going to go all the way through that. And it will not have mattered because it was for the wrong cause. The difference is the truth. Now we're going to see that next week. The difference is the truth. But today I want to end by telling you this. And man, what a, what, a, what a perspective to get. Only, listen to me, only what is eternal matters. Listen, we have to work jobs. Listen, we have duties we have to fulfill. We do it walking with Christ. But I want you to not be misled here. Only what is eternal matters Nothing else will matter someday. If Jesus hasn't come back, they'll take the lid to your casket and they will shut it and there's a clip and there's a crank at the end and it'll suck down airtight and they'll haul it out somewhere and they will bury it and nothing will have mattered. Only what's done for Christ matters. Yes, we have to do other things, but listen, we do it walking with Christ. Only what is done for Christ will matter. Nothing else will. 
And so here's, we start this new year. Here's my cause, this. Listen, guys, make sure you're fighting for the right cause. Make sure you're serving the eternal cause. Make sure you know who Jesus Christ is. Make sure you get up and you evaluate your day by how you're going to walk with Christ. Make sure you go to bed and you think about tomorrow and how you're going to walk with Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're going to give your life, and you are, if you're going to give your breath, your hours for something, make sure it's the right cause. Only what's done for Christ, in Christ and through Christ, will have eternal impact. Make sure you're fighting for the right cause. Glad you're here. I'm going to ask if you'll stand, please. Glad you're here. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come and I'm thankful for your truth. I'm thankful for your word. Lord, I'm thankful for the story of Saul, Paul, a life that was changed. Lord, I'm thankful that I can be encouraged that that no sin is too great, no distance is too far, that you use men like this. Lord, I pray for us in this room that we will be convicted, that we will be convinced that the character of our heart would look like your heart and that there would be radical changes in our marriages, with our kids, in our churches, in our homes because we're covered up, ate up with Jesus Christ. Let us be those type of men. Lord, I pray for some in this room that do not know you. And maybe they've heard your name a thousand times. Maybe they know all the the writings like Saul, but they don't know you. I pray that in the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the drawing of your spirit, that today, this very day, they might put their faith in Jesus. And the Lord, I pray for us here that do know you. I pray as we understand our Savior and our salvation as we understand your grace and your power, as we understand you're the only hope and the only answer, I pray that we would be people sold out, not just to the cause, but to the Savior of the cause, Jesus. Help us in that. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.